Welcome to Scandal Water, where the tea is hot and the conversation lively. Your hosts, Candy and Ashley, will discuss a peculiar story somehow related to the entertainment industry. This podcast might not change the world, but it just might satisfy your thirst for an intriguing tale. Oh, it's that time of day. Tune in and hear what the ladies say. It's time to bend your ear when the silver screen appears. Stories about the stage and screen and everything in between. So come on and join the fun. The curtain opens in three, two, one. Hello, Ashley. Hello, Candy. If you have listened to several of our episodes, you have noticed that I have a tendency to be a little unkind to Ashley and I, I hit her. I hit her with these random questions that she has no idea are even coming because truly it has been very rare that she's even known the topic of the episode. We just kind of like to come into it cold and she is wonderful at just rolling with the punches. So here I go again. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to throw one of these questions at her. And I wouldn't call you unkind. It's unkind to say you're unkind. I'm saying that. It's pop quizzes. You give me a lot of pop quizzes (laughs) and they're very heavy subject matter. Like, what do you think of the universe and the world? And um, (laughs) tell me now. Okay. Yeah, you have 10 seconds to think about it. Go. <laughs> but now this question is right up your alley. Ooh. You might be onto this one. Okay. No, I don't know what this is about today. Well, it's a little misleading. So don't get disappointed when you find out what the episode is really about. Okay. okay. I know you love the Miracle Worker. Oh, I do. Yes, and ma'am. you had the honor of performing as Annie Sullivan, 2017. I did. Yes, 2017. Yes, it was the shock of my life that I actually got a lead role in the play <laughs> because I'd been doing community theater for 17 years at that point. I'd never had the lead role. You're kidding. I am not kidding. No, I was always the, the funny sidekick or the, I don't know, just the daughter or whatever ever just mm-hmm. ingenue that kind of thing and when I got this part I was like really really and then I thought oh oh really I have to actually do this now so it was it was an amazing experience though well and you did a great job thank um, you but because I know you are interested in that production mm-hmm. here's your question okay you probably know that Anne Bancroft won the Oscar for playing that same role of Annie Sullivan back in 1963 I did But do you remember the unusual circumstances that surrounded her acceptance of the award by any chance? Oh, my goodness. Was she on Broadway? Because I actually saw a YouTube video about this. Uh, of course on, you did. <laughs> <laughs> it was, and, and I have to give a shout out to this lady. It's called, the, the channel is called Be Kind Rewind. And she does an amazing job talking about vintage, old, timey, some new, I think. But the ones I've seen have been about like the Academy Awards. And I believe that didn't Joan Crawford accept it for her because Betty Davis was also nominated. And it was like this big rivalry between them. They had just done Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. And they were both nominated. No, they weren't both nominated. Betty was nominated and Joan was not. So she asked Anne if she could, she asked Anne and a couple other people, could I accept for you if you win? Anne ended up winning. So she got to be the one that goes up to the podium and is like, I am accepting this best actress on (laughs) behalf of my friend, blah, blah, blah. And Betty was really mad. Oh my goodness. You were amazing. Is that what you were going to say? You nailed it. You nailed it. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Absolutely. It was Joan Crawford who accepted for Anne Bancroft. And you did such a great job of leading us in. But I'm going to ask if we can dedicate like a minute and a half. We're going to hear Joan accept that award for Anne Bancroft. Yes, let's do it. Here we go.
Thank you. The nominees for Best Performance by an Actress are Anne Bancroft in The Miracle Worker, Betty Davis in Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, Catherine Hepburn in Long Day's Journey into Night, Geraldine Page in Sweet Bird of Youth, and Leo Remick in Days of Wine and Roses. And the winner is Anne Bancroft in The Miracle Worker. Accepting for Anne Bancroft, Miss Joan Crawford. Miss Bancroft said, here's my little speech, dear Joan, quote, there are three reasons why I deserve this award. Arthur Penn, Bill Gibson, Fred Quote, unquote. Thank you. Did you catch that, dear Joan? I did. <laughs> dear Joan. Dear Joan. Who was the third person that she said? I couldn't hear the name, but okay. I think it was like producers, directors. The Bill know. Gibson. She means William Gibson, the guy that wrote the play. So you nailed the significance behind why I asked you that question and, and why I shared that, because the behind the scenes was exactly as you said. On the surface, it seemed like Joan was doing this favor for her really good friend, Anne Bancroft. Mm-hmm. But... If you knew about Joan's reputation, you might have even speculated that she just did it because she wanted the attention, but it was deeper than that, despite the fact that Hedda Hopper said she really did love that attention because Hedda Hopper, by the way, was an infamous gossip columnist during that time, and she wrote this in her column after the Oscars. When it comes to giving or stealing a show, no one can top Joan Crawford. (laughs) So there probably was an element of that. Mm -hmm. But according to Betty Davis, what was really motivating that whole thing was, as you said, their rivalry and wanting to needle Betty. She was one of the nominees for Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, which Joan Crawford had also been in. She didn't get a nomination. But did not get a nomination. Mm -hmm. In an interview with Barbara Walters decades later, Betty Davis told Barbara Walters that it was more than Joan just wanting the spotlight. She said Joan was resentful that Davis and also Victor, I don't know how to say his last name, Boino, Boino, the male lead in 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 the movie, they had both been nominated and she wasn't. So she had been actively campaigning against Betty. And here's Betty Davis's quote. Joan did not want me to have that Oscar. She worked very hard, campaigned very hard, talking to all of the New York people saying, if you win, I'll accept your Oscar. I thought I should have had it. The foolish part was that because we were both receiving percentages of the profits, an award would have meant a million more dollars to the film. She cut off her own nose just so I wouldn't win. That is so spiteful and petty. Yeah, it speaks, I think, to the level of animosity between them that you would be mm-hmm. willing to like cut off your own yes. money source and, yes. and yeah, just to be able to dig at somebody else. So this is the focus, of course, of this episode. The feud? The feud. Ooh, okay. The big feud. And it's funny because we're, we're kind of on a, on a theme here, a role here, actually talking about kind of the origins of our podcast. Back in the early days when we were first sitting around talking about this idea and how mm-hmm. we were going to grow our podcast, we brainstormed, right? We yes. started that shared list and yes. we, we went through and we both were just kind of like adding our ideas of potential topics that we could address. And I remember you were the person who said the Davis Crawford feud might be, you were. Oh. And I remember because I really had like no background knowledge about it. No kidding. You had not heard of that? I'm No. I mean, maybe maybe a mention somewhere, but no real knowledge. It was humongous. Well, it intrigued me. When you brought Mm -hmm. it up, I was like, okay, I want to know more because who doesn't want to know more about a feud or some big (laughs) conflict between these like legendary movie icons. But I came into this 
is really, really cold. I'm going to give them a huge shout out from the very beginning because my knowledge was so limited. I was like, oh, what, you know, what would make sense to kind of tell their story? And mm -hmm. I found this article in Harper's Bazaar from 2017 called A Timeline of the Real Feud between Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. It was written by a lady named Emma Dibden, I believe is how you would say her name. Okay. And so I want to give her a big shout out okay. because I pulled a lot from her okay. article. And is this. it true that it, it was not really a feud at first? Or yes. was it out of the gate a feud? Because I think that Be Kind Rewind, I think what she was covering was actually uh, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane and she included this. Maybe, I, I cannot remember, so I'm sorry about that, but definitely check her channel out. I think her thoughts were, she was trying to interpret it like maybe early on in their studio days, they probably weren't because they were at two different studios, mm -hmm. maybe, so it was mm -hmm. maybe more manufactured than actual, and the actual started later in their careers. But you tell me what you discovered. Well, I'm going to probably be sharing most of this information straight from this article, as I said, okay. and the timeline does give reason early on, even while they were still at separate studios, mm -hmm. why there would have been animosity. Okay. However, okay. I agree with you. I saw in a different source where they said that was blown way out of proportion okay. because in terms of competition for parts, the fact that they were in separate studios meant there was none. Exactly. Like you were keyed into the that company's productions yeah. and, and so you really wouldn't have cared much about that actress who right. was on a totally different track because right. she was not up against you for your roles. Yeah, back in those days you would sign a contract with this studio as usually a seven year contract and you could get loaned out to mm -hmm. other studios, but it just meant you were only in that studio's films. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. So there wouldn't have been that crossover. So I, I did see that same thing. But let's talk about some of the occurrences that did spark a little bit of this early rivalry and anger. According to Miss Emma Dibden, she said the first thing that probably instigated it was back in 1933 when Joan's divorce actually upstaged Betty's first starring role. How did that happen? I know, right? <laughs> well, here's how it happened, okay. actually. It said that Crawford began her on-screen career at a younger age than Betty Davis. She made, Joan Crawford made her first on-screen appearance back in 1925. So she was like already this star by the time Betty Davis moved into the Hollywood scene, which okay. was around 1930. So in 1933, there was this comedy called X Lady and it was designed, it was going to be Betty Davis's first big leading role and she was popped. Okay. And like her studio, Warner Brothers, had planned this huge publicity campaign and they were ready to really launch her movie, which of course, in her mind, would launch her stardom until Joan Crawford announced that she was divorcing her first husband, Douglas Fairbanks Jr., on the same day. I did not remember that they were married. <laughs> I didn't either, but it on was a while back. On the same day. So according to this celebrity biographer named David Brett, the New York Times bumped Betty Davis's film information to this tiny small paragraph in the review section and then gave like the front headlines and several pages to Crawford's divorce. <sighs> and then all the other newspapers pretty much did the same. Ends up that X Lady, which was the name of that movie again, it was dropped from theaters after just a few weeks thanks to poor ticket sales and supposedly this is what first put a bad taste in Betty Davis's mouth for Joan Crawford. I don't blame her. I don't think I blame her there. That's, that's, um, uh, that wouldn't have been cool. <laughs> so that was the initial incident. But according to this article, it was in 1935 that we had the huge defining incident that really sparked this lifelong hatred that Betty Davis supposedly had for Joan Crawford. Okay. And that was when Joan stole Betty's love. Oh, that'll do it. Yep, that'll do it. So in 1935, Betty Davis had starred in this drama called 
called Dangerous, and she fell in love with her co-star. I really should look up how to pronounce names before I come here. <laughs> it's okay. I believe you would say Franchot Tone. It's spelled F-R-A-N. Francois? It's spelled F-R-A-N-C-H-O-T. Oh, I don't know, guys. I don't, need, I don't, I don't know. know, guys. Okay, we're going to call him Franchot. Betty Davis spoke about this in a 1987 interview with this journalist named Michael Thornton. This was like 52 years later, remember? But here's what she said. I fell in love with Franchot professionally and privately. Everything about him reflected his elegance from his name to his manners. So she was smitten. Definitely. But then there was Joan, right? Joan. She got to him first. And so the couple actually... How did she get to him if if he was starring with Betty? Like, did she... I wonder. I'm just... That's just me asking those questions that I I ask. Like, wonder what she did. Did she do it on purpose? Did she... I don't know. Keep going. Well, it doesn't sound like it. Um, Okay. It sounds like somehow or other they had crossed each other's paths. And then once they started the romance, oh, she was all over it. Because it said... The couple did announce their engagement during the filming of Dangerous. Oh, she married him. Yeah. Oh. Oh, yeah. And Betty Davis, again, quoted this as she's reflecting later. She admits, she said, he was madly in love with her. They met each day for lunch. He would return to the set, his face covered in lipstick. Aww. He was honored. This great star was in love with him. I was jealous, of course. Oh. So she admits it. And she goes on to say, I've never forgiven her for that and never will. She took him from me. Oh, and she added more to this interview that she was giving to Thornton. She said, this is still Betty Davis talking about Joan. She did it coldly, deliberately, and with complete ruthlessness. See, that's what makes me wonder. Did Joan overhear Betty say, like, I think he's cute, or I really like him? Because if they weren't, okay, this is just me going down one of my little rabbit trails, (laughs) but trying to think it through psychologically, if they were not at the same studio, what business does Joan Mm -hmm. have on on the lot? How did she even run into this guy? If he's honored that this big movie star is in love with him, he wasn't well known. Right. So it's not like they were traveling in the, it's not like Douglas Fairbanks where you're going to see him around anyway. Mm-hmm. So did she somehow get wind? A friend of a friend told her like Betty's in love with her co-star and she's like, oh, I'm going to take care of this. But then at that point, what had Betty done to her? Right. Why would Betty Davis it, even be on her radar? Exactly. Yeah. I could see if it was Betty because her divorce had just kicked her news out of the paper. I could see Betty going to be like, I'm going to get her back. I'm going to steal her man. But that's not what happened. I don't know. Who knows if Joan planted the news to come out when Betty's movie came out but if she did what the heck what has Betty ever done to you Joan yeah I don't get it yeah and I've I've already admitted I know like next to nothing about this except what I have researched Mm -hmm. for for our podcast episode but I will say the way I'm reading this I don't even think Betty is on her radar I don't see Joan coming after her yet on purpose I feel like maybe at some point she had some awareness like oh I'm after this man and we're starting a romantic involvement Mm -hmm. and look this other actress likes him or wants him Mm -hmm. hmm doesn't this make it more appealing to okay you know i but that's just me again making all kinds of inferences no mm-hmm. nothing behind that at all that's credible but but it, it does seem at this point not as intentional right like yeah. what we've talked about yeah. i don't know we've had these quotes from davis who is reflecting on it later crawford also offered a, a quote something that that she had said to somebody at a, at a later time as she thought back on this experience and her quote that i'll share with you is this she thought that he was a good actress but he meaning the guy she married never thought of her as a woman whoa yeah 
Yikes. Little zinger. Yeah. Okay. Now Joan's married to Betty's love. And the next incident in the timeline is in 1936, one year later. And this is when Joan snubs Betty at the Oscars. Okay. It's still Joan on the offensive here. Okay. What happened? Yeah. Here's the little piece of background we we need to share. Davis went on to win an Oscar for her performance in that movie Dangerous that she oh. was in with this fella here. All right. All right. And this incident occurs at that Oscars award ceremony. Okay. All right. So Betty Davis supposedly did not think she could win. And she really didn't even want to go because there was something going on with the Screen Actors Guild and people were protesting. And anyway, somehow or other, it says she ends up having to go. She got pressured by her studio to do it, but she didn't want to be there. And so she just wore this plain navy dress, which was actually part of an old costume. Now, when her name was called, the legend has it that this fellow, Franchot Tone, got up and embraced her because she was his co-star. Star, right? right? She okay. just won an award. But his now wife, Joan Crawford, refused to like acknowledge it and kept her back turned to Betty Davis the whole time. Mm. And then after her husband called Joan out for being rude, supposedly Joan turned to Betty Davis and said with a sneer, Dear Betty, what a lovely frock. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I'm team Betty right now, guys. I know. Golly. Right? Well, that was 1936, and the next incident is not listed until 1943. So time has passed. Okay. When it doesn't seem like much of anything was happening. Okay. In terms Other of than their resentment feud. brewing. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> Supposedly, when in 1943, Joan Crawford made her move from her studio to Warner Brothers. Okay? Which is Betty's studio? Which is Betty's studio. So Joan had been at MGM. That's a rival to Warner right. Brothers. So she was moving and she demanded the dressing room right beside Betty Davis. Now, right. Betty Why Davis by this time had this? been there for like a decade, right? Yes. Now, supposedly Joan Crawford was trying to make amends though. Oh, okay. She was sending over gifts and flowers right next door to Betty Davis trying to kind of like mend um, fences. fences. Uh-huh. Betty Davis returned every one of them. I don't blame her. I'm sorry. You took her man. You snubbed her. You did all this <laughs> stuff. It's just like... Meh. Too little, too late. Yes. Keep yes. your flowers. Keep your flowers. Keep your flowers. Joan. Yeah. <laughs> Two years later, 1945. Now this competition, of course, is is firing up over the roles, right? These okay, two yeah. women sometimes want the same roles. Yeah. Here's what happens in 1945 that fuels the fire a little bit more. Joan Crawford had her heart set on this role. It was big part, leading part in Mildred Pierce. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she got her wish when Betty Davis, who was the studio's first choice for that role, turned it down. Now, the director, Michael Curtiz, was not hot on casting Joan Crawford, but he finally gave in because she did this wonderful screen test. Mm-hmm. And then she went on to win her her first and only Oscar, which by the way, talking about a rabbit hole, I did a little rabbit hole here because as I'm I'm going through this, I see that she accepted this Oscar in bed. Oh my goodness. Have you heard about this? I know. I think I did in passing, but I think my opinion of her with, I'm sorry to Joan Crawford fans. I think my opinion of her was so just like, oh, Joan, I just kind of passed through my brain and I just let it fall into the trash. <laughs> it floored me. I could not believe that I'd never heard of anyone accepting the Oscar in a negligee in her own little bedroom. Uh, so what was wrong with her that she couldn't go? She claimed she had the flu uh-huh. and that she was so sick she could not make it. Mm-hmm. But she put on full makeup, mm-hmm. wore her finest little negligee, <laughs> was laying in bed and had all kinds of publicity in the bedroom mm-hmm. so that she could accept it from that spot. Mm-hmm. It was kind of unbelievable. You need to look up the pictures at some point. Or So yeah. what do you think she was 
what was her point? What was she thinking? Like, this is the thing that would get her the most attention. Uh-huh. Why not just, like, go and accept it? Because there's a lot of attention there, too. This is just more attention because she's she's doing a little Munchausen here. And, like, I'm so sick. Pay attention to me and look at me and that kind of thing. I would think so because it talked about it being a huge publicity stunt. And also, you oh. know, like, let's think about this. They're making such an exception that they're going to go to Joan Crawford's own oh, little home gotcha. and do this from her bed because she's so special. Mm, okay. okay. You know, mm-hmm. and of course, some other people made some little snarky comments saying that, well, you know, it, it was more related to drinking than being sick anyway, that I think by this time, she had a little bit of a reputation for oh. being nipping a little bit here and there. Not sure exactly what the true story is, but kind of crazy. Anyway, side note that Oscar in 2012 sold at auction for a record 426, 732. Wow. Yeah. Did they say who bought it? They did not. Okay. So two years later, Crawford ended up taking another lead role that was originally intended for Betty Davis, which was in the crime drama Possessed, and she won an Oscar nomination for that. So supposedly this fueled the fire because she took roles Betty didn't want, but then won awards for them or was nominated for them. Well, now in Joan's defense, that's that's not something that you can help because she just means that she did a good job with the role. Mm -hmm. That's not like, okay, maybe you wouldn't have gotten it. So I'm, I'm giving Joan some points for that. You can't help that part. I agree. Yeah, Betty passed it up. That was her choice. Right. Okay, 1950. This supposedly was another escalating event. There was a rumor that Betty Davis thought Joan was in love with her. What? And that she didn't like it. This is what it said in the article. Crawford was known to have relationships with both men and women throughout her life. Okay. And some people suspected that she had a thing for Betty Davis. Um, She has a funny way of showing it. Well, true. Joan's friend and confidant, Jerry Asher, at some point was quoted as saying that Joan was attracted to Betty's vitality and energy. Betty was always convinced, due to her ego, Mm -hmm. that Joan had the hots for her. And that's one reason why she was always so antagonistic and called her a phony. So this is his speculation. Who knows if this is Right. I'm wondering, though, if it's sort of like what we talked about a couple episodes ago, like the nar- the narcissism thing, where you get obsessed with a person. Mm-hmm. So what if Betty thought that, I don't know, I don't know who would be the narcissist, probably, probably honestly both of them in the business that they're in. <laughs> you have to be a little bit of a, a narcissist to be that fame hungry. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if she's thinking, if Joan saw Betty as a talented, she had all the good things that she wanted, so she became obsessed with her and tried to t- literally take those things, like glob those things off of Betty onto herself. Mm. I don't who know. Knows? I don't know. We're making some interesting speculation. Yeah. 1952, next event was kind of a snub. There was a romantic drama called The Star written by Joan Crawford's longtime friend, Catherine Albert. And it was supposedly written kind of as a revenge thing because they had had a falling out. And so it was supposed to represent Joan Crawford is what everybody thought. This depiction in the movie called The Star. And so Betty Davis was cast in the lead role of this story about a washed up actress who was clinging desperately to her fading star power. And again, everybody pretty much thought this is supposed to represent Joan Crawford and here Betty Davis relished taking this role. Wow. Yeah. That would probably make me a little unhappy if I were her. Oh my (laughs) gosh. These girls, these girls, ladies, ladies. Okay. Okay. But but are you ready? But you know what, what it's doing is it's giving, it's keeping them both in the headlines. Mm -hmm. So it's good or bad. It's like good publicity, bad publicity, any publicity. So that's what it this that's what this is doing. So who knows? Maybe at the end of this we'll figure out it was all a big con by both of them and it's like, haha, we stayed in the papers for fifty years. You guys are the chumps. 
You are so good at this, Ashley. That's actually, you know how I like to throw an armchair psychologist uh-huh. question at you? Uh-huh. Like, you've just basically <laughs> just gone right ahead. You've already, you've leaped right there because that is exactly what I was going to throw at you later. So now you can think about it in advance, right? Okay. All right. Well, here's the biggie. 1962. This is what most people think about when they think about the Betty and Joan feud, right? We're now to the Academy Award thing? Oh. Not yet? We're actually to the movie. Oh, to the movie. To the movie, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Oh, oh, oh okay, okay, okay. Okay, gotcha. Supposedly, here's where it really, really hugely escalated. Okay, this was their first and only film together. So what happened was, Joan Crawford supposedly persuaded Betty Davis to sign on to this movie, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, which was a psychological horror story Mm -hmm. about a crippled former actress, played by Joan, terrorized by her deranged sister, played by Betty Davis, in their Hollywood home. And it was like a huge box office success, more than they even anticipated. And and in some ways, it was kind of the comeback that both of the actresses were really trying for when they signed on to do this. But it became, according to this article, it became one of the most remembered (laughs) public documents of their real life rivalry that was out there. Like it just became like this testament to how much they hated each other, right? So supposedly Betty agreed to sign on only on two conditions. The first condition was that Betty had to play the title role of Jane, baby Jane. And the second condition was that the film's director, Robert Aldridge, had to assure her that he was not sleeping with Joan Crawford. Is she still married to Betty's love? I don't think so at this time, I don't think so at this time. She married the Pepsi guy for a while. Yeah, he's long gone. But Betty Davis's quote here was, it wasn't that I cared about his private life or hers either. I didn't want him favoring her with more close-ups. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) She's thinking of all the angles. (laughs) this woman's on top of things. So it was on the set of Baby Jane that the most legendary episodes in their feud took place. You nailed it. Crawford was on the Pepsi board of directors at the time because her late husband, Alfred Steele, was a Pepsi executive. Okay. So Betty Davis made a point to have a Coke machine installed in her dressing room. Out of spite. I mean, so that's kind petty. of a that's kind of a funny spite though. That's kind of funny. I I could maybe not that I don't approve. Like I, I get it, you fall into these things, but that might be something I would do is drink a coke <laughs> <laughs> like with relish yeah. and yeah, just yeah, kind yeah, of like yeah. look at her. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So then in a, one scene where Jane is supposed to kind of beat on Joan Crawford's character Blanche, Crawford requested a body double because she did not trust Betty not to hurt her. <laughs> And supposedly she was smart to do so because like there was supposed to be this one close up when they couldn't use the body double and Davis hit her so hard in the head that some reports claim it was hard enough to require stitches. Although Betty Davis insisted forever that she barely touched her. (laughs) That's like when your sibling stabs you through the eye and you're like, mom, like I barely touched you. You're fine. You're fine. You're fine. You're fine. Don't Don't tell mom. mom. Don't Don't tell mom. Don't tell mom. Now, she said I barely touched her, but then there's also a quote that she came back with many years later and said, the best time I ever had with Joan Crawford was when I pushed her down the stairs and whatever (laughs) happened to baby Jane. So there you go. Now, Joan Crawford got her payback later when they were filming a different scene where Jane drags Blanche out of bed and across the room. Well, knowing that Betty Davis had back problems, Crawford made herself as heavy as possible. They're not sure whether it was by filling her pockets with rocks or wearing a weightlifter's belt, or maybe she just like made herself dead weight. They're not sure because they all three got reported at different times. But supposedly she like deliberately also ruined several takes so oh, that Davis nice. would have to keep dragging her around and around and around until she was She's in like, agony. That's for the coke. 
<laughs> you want to you wanna keep that machine? <laughs> I'll make you pay. <sighs> Love it. I mean, it is funny. It is right? funny. Like, it is. It? Oh, gosh. Girls. <sighs> okay. Now, 1963. Now we're back. We've come back around, as you okay. said, to the Oscars mm-hmm. for whatever happens to Baby Jane. They said, even when the filming had wrapped, the tension kept simmering, which was helped by the Academy because, again, as we said, Betty Davis got the Oscar nod. So did the supporting actor, Victor Boyne. But Crawford did not. So she felt like she had been robbed. As we started the I episode. Think, I think Joan has lived her life feeling like well, she's been robbed. And and like, that she is owed everything. Yes. But they said not only did she campaign hard against Davis, which we talked about, but she went above and beyond. She wanted to get herself up on that stage. She wanted to rub it in Betty's face. Not well, she only- missed it the first time she was in bed. <laughs> That's true. So she's got to get on stage. She come back and see what it felt like. That's right. So noting that several of the year's nominees were unable to attend, Crawford had offered to collect the Best Actress Award on the behalf of all anybody who wasn't going to be able to make it. And so that's how she ended up accepting for Anne Bancroft. And it said that Davis watched in shock. And then Joan went on afterwards. Like, she just absolutely rubbed Betty's face in it. Like, I, I looked this up because I had uh-huh. to see it. There are all kinds of photos of her taking pictures holding the Oscar yes. with all the other winners. Yes! She yes. didn't even win the award! Yes! There was something on that... Oh, I can't remember where I saw it now, but I think they said it took her a really long time to get it to Anne Bancroft. Like, she just traveled with it or something. Like, I'm just going to babysit it for you. Eventually. I'll get this to you eventually. Eventually. Yeah. I rubbed... Oh, I'm sorry. I rubbed off your name and it now says mine. I don't don't know know how how that that happened. happened. Just for fun, I have this... I think it's like a minute and a half clip of Betty Davis late in her life talking to Bryant Gumbel Mm -hmm. um, about this little situation or a little piece of it. So I'm just going to let you listen to this for a second. Let's hear it, Betty. Person I want to ask you about is is the lady with whom, in, in many minds, you are forever linked. That's Joan Crawford. I know, isn't it incredible? We're forever linked. We made one film. It's funny that we made. Well, it was a good movie. It was a good movie. I don't, as far as making the film with her, she was on time. She knew her lines. She basically was a pro. But we're very different kind of women. Very different kind of actresses. Yes. But afterwards, the how would you characterize her relationship? When she saw it, too, and I didn't get the Oscar for Baby Jane. She went to all the New York nominees and said, if you can't get out there, I'll accept your award. And uh, please do not vote for her. She was so jealous. She was a fool, my dear. We had great percentage. If I had won that Oscar, we'd have made a million more dollars on the film. That's what always happens. So she didn't, wasn't very smart about what she did. You're hurt by the memory of that? I was furious because that would have made me the first person with three. As I, you know, I always have to be first as an Aries. Yes, and I should have had it all. Uh, very immodest of me. I should have had it for that year. No question. Hmm. What do you think about that? I think I think they definitely both suffer from narcissism. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Well, at least she did give her credit and said, you know, she was basically a professional. She knew her lines. She showed up on time. But it, she thinks that she was jealous of her. Probably Joan thinks that Betty was... Mm-hmm. They they just, again... Blinders. They both blinders. have blinders on. Yes. Yeah. And to say, I'm very modest, but I should have had... <laughs> like, are you Betty? Are you modest? Were you making a joke? Do you know that was a joke? And really... 
how how poor a compliment is that to artists to this performer that she showed up on time and she knew her lines and that's the best she that's could the say, best about I can say about you that was the best and she also could say about her. to say that you deserved it over Anne Bancroft who portrayed Annie Sullivan who is one mm-hmm. of the most to me like a true historical hero mm-hmm. no you deserved it more than Annie Sullivan right baby right. Jane should have been up there instead of Annie Sullivan no the right girl got it we respectfully disagree about yes we do okay please don't come for us <laughs> <laughs> so a year later next incident was that Joan ditched her project that she had kind of signed up to do with Betty and of course that's not going to go over well either so what happened was right after this great success which was a little unexpected with the film whatever happened to baby Jane they were going to do another one together right? exactly Warner Brothers was like let's ride on these coattails these two actresses were supposed to again star together in Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte oh yeah 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 yeah. it was based on a short story by Henry Farrell who wrote the novel that, that Baby Jane was based on so they everybody was excited we're going to see Davis and Crawford reunited on screen again but the you know there'll be a different pair of women who are locked in psychological warfare of a different type and so Which it seems to be the role they've played their whole lives exactly <laughs> made for it <laughs> made for it but they said Joan Crawford dropped out after a week and a half of filming oh they'd already started mm-hmm. claiming that she was not well but supposedly the article says that she was just still re- still reeling from the indignities of Baby Jane and, and how she felt snubbed and all of that and she didn't want to be upstaged by Betty Davis again. Oh my gosh, she didn't win. Joan, you're still on the same playing field. I know. So supposedly the director, this Michael Aldrich, I think the first name was Michael, but last name definitely Aldrich, the director hired a private detective to track Joan Crawford's movements. Why? But he was not able to get her back to set. Well, I mean, this is how controlling I think the studios were at okay, that time, okay, right? Yeah. That, that, you know, she says she's not well. Oh. I'm going to investigate and see if you really are unwell because gotcha. I'm going to try to force you to come back into this project. Or or they could call, and call her in breach of contract and maybe they could just mm-hmm. get her out. Yeah. Maybe. Okay. Yeah. But finally, the choice came down to either canceling the film or recasting the role. And that is how, after other actresses did turn this down, there were several who, who were approached who said no. But Olivia de Havilland finally... Stepped in? Yep, finally Mm. stepped in. How did the film go? Was it received well? Do you know? I did not look that up. Okay. I know I've heard of it. Yeah, I have too. I believe it did pretty well. I don't think it was ever as, you know, highly acclaimed as whatever happened to Baby Jane. Right. But I think that was all because of their personal lives that that got so much acclaim. Yeah, I I think so too. All right, big jump. That was 1964. The next thing in the timeline was 1977. And this is after Joan's death. Oh, wow. Joan was found dead in her New York City apartment in May of 1977. And following her death, this is a quote you probably have heard. In fact, I'm just going to ask you, have you heard the quote that Betty gave about Joan Crawford's death? I don't know. Start it and I'll let you know. You should never say bad things. Mm -mm, I have not heard this. You should never say bad things about the dead. You should only say good. Joan Crawford is dead. Good. Oh, no. Right? Betty's like, victory, I made it longer. Now, the article goes on to say that it's almost impossible to find the actual source for that terrible insult. Yes. So, like, is it just legend? You know, like, did she really say that? I don't know. But, oh my goodness. (laughs) That is bad. That is really bad. bad. Here's an interesting little twist, labeled as 1978. It said that Davis actually ends up softening towards Crawford later, even coming to Joan Crawford's defense a little bit. Really? 
following the publication of Mommy Dearest. Oh, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. If anyone doesn't know, it's a memoir that was written by Joan Crawford's adoptive daughter, Christina, and mm-hmm. it just outlined all this abuse mm-hmm. that she alleged to have suffered at the hands of her mother. Betty Davis is quoted as saying, I was not Miss Crawford's biggest fan, but wise cracks to the contrary, I did and still do respect her talent. What she did not deserve was that detestable book written by her daughter. To do something like that to someone who saved you from the orphanage, foster homes, who knows what. If she didn't like the person who chose to be her mother, she was grown up and could choose her own life. Mm. And Davis went on to say, this is another quote, felt very sorry for Joan Crawford, but I knew she wouldn't appreciate my pity because that's the last thing she would have wanted anyone being sorry for her, especially me. I can understand how hurt Miss Crawford had to be. Well, no, I can't. It's like trying to imagine how I would feel if my own beloved, wonderful daughter, B.D., were to write a bad book about me. Unimaginable. Mm. Curious. Are you familiar with Mommy Dearest? I've not read it and I've not seen the film, but I am aware of both of them and I'm aware of some of the allegations. And I think, again, we aren't there. We Mm -hmm. don't know. But Mm -hmm. I I think it was written as a direct result of the snub that Joan did for Christina. I don't know if it was both of them. I think she had two children. And I believe that she, in her will, wrote Christina out of the will and she said that she wasn't leaving her anything. And I think, again, I'm not sure. We have to google it or whatever but i think she said that and she knows why Mm. something like that and christina sort of went well okay here we go here we go yeah you want to do this to me i'm going to tell everybody who you are Mm -hmm. and and part of me thinks like betty can't imagine it because betty had a good relationship with her daughter so she can't imagine her daughter saying that but if if christina is correct and she's just finally telling the truth we've seen glimpses of this kind of behavior all of joan's life Mm -hmm. the pettiness the spitefulness doing all that and again we weren't there we don't know right But, I mean, it is horrible, but maybe Christina just finally had to go. This is who this person really is, and Mm -hmm. I'm tired of everybody admiring her. Right, right. Well, here's kind of a sad, ironic note, something Mm -hmm. that I had never heard before. Mm -hmm. In 1985, Betty Davis's daughter, B.D. Hyman, did follow in Christina's footsteps. Really? And she published a book entitled My Mother's Keeper, Uh in which she described her mom as selfish and emotionally abusive and an alcoholic. Really? The people who wrote Betty still alive? Let's see. Yes. Because oh. she, yeah, I'm trying to remember the year that she died, but I know she was giving an interview in 1987. Okay, okay. So okay. she was definitely alive. The lady who wrote this article goes on to point out this account is much more contested than Mommy Dearest, what was said in, in you know, about Joan. There was a huge public outcry. A lot of people were sympathetic about Davis. This daughter, B.D. Hyman, her adopted brother disagreed so strongly with the book and what it said that he disowned her. Wow. So were these her natural she said adopted were they both both of these children were also adopted or was bd i don't know i don't know about bd i found in the research it did name that this brother the son was but i don't know about bd i wonder if bd stood for betty davis Oh, that's an interesting question. Hmm. We got some Googling to do. We are almost at the end of this timeline, of course, because, you know, Betty Davis passes away not long after this. So this is kind of how things end, right? With this sad account, these allegations made against Betty Davis that kind of put her back in the same category with Joan Crawford again. And and that's kind of how it ended. I just have to add, because when I think about the feud, which again, I I know so little about it, but the one little piece that I think I might have heard in my life was these zingers that they would shoot at each other. 
each mm-hmm. other. And so I just felt like we had to hear a few more of those okay. before we okay. end this. Harper's Bazaar did attest that, this is another quote, much of their fighting played out as back and forth sniping, though Crawford was always less openly hostile than Davis, whose iconic burns include the classic, Crawford slept with every male star at MGM, except Lassie. <laughs> Right? And then one more. Betty Davis said, Miss Crawford is a movie star, and I am an actress. (laughs) So there you go. Girl! I know. I know. Okay. Well, we have moved straight through that timeline. Do you want to take a brief break before we do our armchair psychologist Sure, let's do it. Okay. These ladies. And we are back. Armchair psychologist. And as we heard earlier, Ashley's on it. She already knows this question. I'm going to throw at her. So, so no, I think it's great that you that you went right there. That was my wondering. Like, I wanted to hear your thoughts. There's that famous quote, there is no such thing as bad publicity. Mm-hmm. So do we believe that quote to be true, especially in, in, you know, when it relates to people in the entertainment industry? And was this feud more beneficial or harmful to these actresses? You know? Hmm. I don't know. It's so hard because it when you're looking back in the historical record, we even talked about it in our last episode. What is the truth? How mm-hmm. do you know what the truth is? What are the sources? And of course, people can say whatever they want, right. but it doesn't mean that it's ac- actually the truth. I think it would make an amazing movie. And again, I'm going to copyright this right now. Don't steal my idea. I think it would be fun to do a movie or a miniseries about this whole thing. And at the end, the twist at the end is where they kind of high five each other in their old age. <laughs> like we really got them. You know, we stayed in the limelight, but they didn't stay in the limelight for good reasons. And it sounds like I apologize apologize to all the Joan and Betty fans. I'm sure they had wonderful qualities that you guys admire and their skills. They were amazing actresses, clearly. They knew mm-hmm. what they were doing. They, You can't be a bad actor and stay in the limelight. You have to have some talent. So they did. But wh- why can't you just have the reputation of like Jimmy Stewart, who's just like a nice yeah. guy, you know? And maybe he had bad stuff, but it wasn't out there. Or a Cary Grant or Audrey Hepburn or those kind of people. They were still in the limelight, mm-hmm. but they were kind and humanitarian, or Audrey was, you know? It, it just, I don't know. What did it serve you for being nasty your whole lives. It's funny as you as you were talking, I had to scroll back in my notes because something I did not mention that I actually was unaware of as well. I have a lot of uh, gaps in my knowledge as far as these <laughs> two women goes apparently. But did you know that there was a 2017? It was supposed to be the beginning of like this ongoing series, and it ended up being kind of a standalone season. But it was the a feud. Yes. Did mm-hmm. you did you hear you knew about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think they had the perfect person to play Betty, wasn't it, Susan? Sarandon. I always mm-hmm. thought a young Susan Sarandon looked mm-hmm. just like Betty Davis and yep. Jessica Lange. And I believe Olivia de Havilland sued them because it's one of the last things that she did before she passed because she said they misrepresented what really Ooh. happened. They did more of the salacious, just mm-hmm. kind of rumor stuff instead of what really occurred. And since she's in this story, because of Hush Hush, Sweet Charlotte, she said, you misrepresented who I am. Oh. And she sued them. Well, good for her. Don't know if she won or not. I didn't follow it through, but I know she did sue. But holding him to the truth, yes. right? Yes. Yeah, that was created by Ryan Murphy the, and, and others, I'm sure, who worked with him. But I, I recognize his name because he's the fellow behind Glee and American Horror Story. Okay. But as you were talking, I was thinking, first of all, like, hey, somebody did kind of take yeah, that yeah, idea, yeah. although they didn't have your, your twist. cute twist at the end, which I really like. But the other thing I was thinking about is, did they have to work harder because they were women? Mm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, had they been men, would it have been easier to stay in the limelight? Would mm-hmm. they have been given a lot more props and a lot more attention for doing some of 
simpler things. I don't know. My, don't maybe I'm being know. sexist to say that or to wonder, but you, you've mentioned the term narcissism several yeah. times. I feel like that obviously played a huge role in yes. this. We want the attention. We want to yeah. do whatever it takes to stay there. But I also do wonder, as I was saying, did they have to work harder? Did they not have quite as many avenues open to them? And so they... I don't know. They both got started in the 30s, right? Or you said uh, mm-hmm. she was 25, and right? 1925 is 1925 when she kind of got started. Mm-hmm. So, may, and, and when I talked about Audrey Hepburn, Audrey came around in the 50s. So things mm-hmm. would have been way different then than they were for for these gals. And maybe they did. Maybe they just figured out this negative attention is the way that we can stay in the limelight and we can stay getting parts. And that's just what they glopped onto. I just think it would just make you tired. Mm-hmm. It'd just be so weary to fight all the time. Unless, of course, they had that cool little, maybe they had weekly or monthly conferences where, okay, I'm going to do this, <laughs> then you do that. And they were brilliant, more brilliant than all of us. Like wrestlers. Yeah. Yeah, like those yeah. wrestlers with their fake personas and like that's what keeps them going and the fans invested because mm-hmm. who doesn't love a great conflict, right? Right, right. Especially if you have those snarky little comments right. that you can laugh over and think are right, funny. Right. Yeah. And then it would make sense about why she kind of defended her if, if she didn't really say that horrible mm-hmm. comment, the good comment, if that was not true. If it would make sense about when Joan died, then, well, then we're done. We're done with our mm-hmm. pact because you're gone. So now she's going to be nice to her. Mm-hmm. You know, that's when she started saying positive stuff about her not great positive but positive mm-hmm. so it wasn't as snarky yeah yeah that's it. i think we're making some great guesses here we and could we could be we could be unearthing the long con mm-hmm. of betty davis and joan crawford <laughs> that'd be funny you heard it here first guys. you did <laughs> from two completely uh uninformed uninformed unreliable <laughs> sources we're just making things up that's right i guess my, my only last thought i would just kind of throw in here is i think it also speaks to probably again making guesses but it probably speaks to the difference in the control that actors have nowadays over their own publicity mm-hmm. and the social media and all the different accounts and and how they're how they are represented in the their persona that their identity all those things that they they probably have so much more control now than these actresses did back then because you know we heard we started one of the first things was she was so upset that her publicity for her film was knocked off the front page because of Jones divorce well right. if you were at the mercy of how your studio or would represent you or the the people who were leading the studio how they were going to get you in the paper maybe maybe it was just a whole lot harder to and they just took it upon themselves i wonder like i just had this thought when you said that when she read the oscar speech and said dear joan i wonder if joan added that like totally if it no no i mean if ann never even said to my friend dear joan that was my inference Ah. i 100 (laughs) percent thought ann never said dear joan yeah dear joan please here's here's the three reasons that i deserve this and that (laughs) sounded a little bit like geez ann so i wonder i just i don't know i wonder if her speech actually said something different and joan like you know what I'm just gonna edit this for for clarity and brevity and and make you sound like something I would have written exactly I'm the one on stage yes yes (laughs) well there you go yeah I knew I know you knew a lot more of that coming in than I did so (laughs) maybe I enjoyed it more than you do but there's our (laughs) lovely timeline of the progression of this feud between our Hollywood legends Betty Davis and Joan Crawford we gotta cheers them ladies no matter what if if you were uh, part of the long con then I sold you that's right let's pretend it was that's now history that's the truth (laughs) cheers to two strong ladies that's right all right this episode of scandal water was executive produced by candy thomas that's me and ashley raymer brown that's me it was researched and written by candy thomas and edited by ashley raymer brown all music was written composed performed and mixed by josh martin 
The artwork was designed by Matt C. Adams, while our website was developed by Joshua Reith. If you like what you hear and you want to help keep the Scandal Water brewing, please go to our website, scandalwaterpodcast.com. Just click on your podcatcher of choice, then hit follow to subscribe. And while you're there, you might as well leave us a five-star rating and review. And don't forget, it's always more fun when you share your tea with others. As a reminder, this podcast is purely for entertainment purposes. The thoughts and opinions of the host during each episode of Scandal Water are their own and do not reflect the opinions of any future guests advertisers or clearly professional psychologists thanks for listening